0: Hello, Radio Maria. Thank you for being with us this evening. It's Thursday, the 15th of September. We have our Credo program now. And via the internet, <laughs> we have Father Simon Blakesley, who is parish priest at St. Lawrence's in Cambridge. Lovely parish my favourite parish. It's my parish. <laughs> Good evening, Father. How are you?
1: Good evening, Lucia. It's wonderful to be here with you. Um, am I free to...
0: You are free well, to speak. You're going I'm to be talking to... about Queen Elizabeth II.
1: Well, indeed. But I just thought I'd begin by saying, coincidentally, today is the memoria that the Church keeps of Our Lady of Sorrows, that's right. to recognize that a mother, as you will know, sometimes has uh, great joy in her family, but also has times of sorrow. And perhaps that's something that we all know of our sovereign Queen Elizabeth and her time uh, as our Queen was filled with many occasions of joy but also in her own family uh, because of various weaknesses and all of the the aspects of humanity that she dealt with uh, she also had times of sorrow and perhaps when we think of uh, the queen we also recognize that she suffered as our Blessed Lady suffered at the foot of the cross. She knew what it was to have children who, in their own way, uh, for very different reasons, of course, brought her suffering. And perhaps it's a good opportunity for us to reflect on the way uh, she witnessed to her own faith and she witnessed to uh, her duty as our sovereign to uh, respond faithfully uh, to the different family situations she encountered, um, which uh, brought her also, uh, I'm sure, emotionally, uh, spiritually, to the foot of the cross, so that she suffered with our Blessed Lady and our Lord, and she knew what it was to be a mother who suffered for love of her children. Um, We had the great joy earlier today of celebrating uh, a Requiem Mass for uh, our Sovereign Queen Elizabeth at St John's Cathedral in Norwich. Um, That was at 11 o'clock this morning And it was duly celebrated by our bishop, Alan Hopes. And I think it's important to uh, reflect on the scripture readings that were chosen for that mass. And the first came from the first book of the Kings. So I'm just going to read you uh, an excerpt of that reading. The Lord said to Solomon, Since you have asked for this, the Lord said, and not asked for long life, for yourself, or riches, or the lives of your enemies, but have asked for a discerning judgment for yourself, here and now I do what you ask. I give you a heart wise and shrewd as none before you has had and none will have after you what you have not asked i shall give you too such riches and glory as no other king has ever had and i will give you a long life if you follow my ways keeping my laws and commandments as your father David followed them. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And I think that takes us back to the words we have heard uh, repeated in the media of the promise that Queen Elizabeth made even before she was queen, when she was still Princess Elizabeth, at the age of 21, she said that she would commit her life, long or short, to the service of this country. And of course, with hindsight, we look back to that uh, day, uh, which 75 years later would uh, uh, be reflected in the fact that she was given a long life a great life in support of this country and indeed of the whole commonwealth and she was faithful in so many little ways to uh, the task that was given to her and perhaps As we heard in the scripture the other day, when St. Paul was uh, saying that, you know, this was not a job that he asked for. It was a job that was given to him. Uh, He was given this task of preaching the gospel and knew that he had to preach it in season and out of season. And I'm sure that. Queen Elizabeth, in many ways, uh, didn't really want the job. Um, But it came to her and she accepted it. I remember speaking to a friend of mine who was uh, a priest and he met the Queen on an occasion at a a formal um, gathering for some blessing of a school i can't remember the exact um nature of the occasion but i remember him saying that she was a woman who seemed to take on uh, the job given to her but really she was a, a country woman she would have been happier uh, out in the fields with her gun dogs or on a horse uh, enjoying the countryside and perhaps we now realize why uh, places such as well even windsor in contrast to buckingham palace where she should be able to go out riding in the windsor great park but particularly uh, sandringham in norfolk and Balmoral in Scotland, these were places where she was able to be herself, where she was given the space to be a woman of the countryside, a woman who enjoyed uh, both uh, horses and dogs and the whole uh, richness of uh, country life. That was uh, her greatest joy and relaxation. And yet, in service to the nation, she spent most of her life centered around Buckingham Palace in the middle of London and doing all sorts of public duties that were very much town and city and nationally and internationally focused, and she gave her life in that service, knowing full well she'd rather have been cantering on a favourite horse through Windsor Great Park or somewhere out uh, on a shoot in Norfolk or uh, at the Braemar Country Games in uh, her beloved Scotland close to Balmoral, where she uh, knew uh, that it would be, as it were, such a great thing for the nation if she actually died in Balmoral. Um, I think her life can be understood, particularly in the context of the decisions she made about her death, which seems crazy to say really, doesn't it? because we don't really know when each of us uh, will uh, be born or or die and be born into eternal life. But she seemed to realize that it would be for the great benefit of the nation and of the union, that if she died in Scotland, then the whole uh, ritual uh, and uh, respect that we have seen in her funeral rites, which are are, uh, being very uh, respectfully carried out over a number of days and geographically uh, through a number of very important places for her monarchy. This has all been part and parcel of what she realised would happen if she was able to die in Scotland. And I think it is a a witness to the age in which we live, that she freely gave her life. um, And when it came to her last illness, and she was aware that she was dying, She did not ask to be taken to hospital. She didn't want any extraordinary medical or or surgical means to extend her life. She simply wanted her family to gather around her bedside to be with her in her last illness. And perhaps for a woman of 96, that is a model of how to let go. And when you talk to people who are incredibly critical of the monarchy and because of uh, the apparent riches that uh, it possesses and how far up the uh, rich list Queen Elizabeth is in all that she had and, and uh, possessed as a woman of wealth and influence. Just look at how easily she let it all go, and let that be a lesson to us all. She had so much, but she allowed it to slip from her grasp with the greatest ease and gentleness, and that as a model of uh, giving her life back to God, that is a model for us all to see and to understand she was and is uh, a wonderful example of someone who can receive gifts from god can receive so much but also give it back so graciously so easily now i believe that you're going to uh let me off the hook here with a nice musical interlude. I was just reflecting on the fact that uh, my dear uh, Auntie Terry, who was my Teresa, uh, she was my mum's younger sister, and she was in the same ATS uh, group uh, that Her Majesty the Queen was in, uh, and they learnt to drive together, And they also learnt to be mechanics together, um, trying to uh, mend uh, army lorries and ambulances and all the vehicles necessary for the paraphernalia of war. And uh, they, they didn't talk much about it. It was just something that was completely accepted that in a time of war, whoever you were, whether you were a princess or a pauper, as it were, you got on with the job of doing what was necessary. And I think that was an aspect of her understanding of service, was you did what needed to be done. Um, And it, it, was something that stayed with uh, Her Majesty the Queen uh, throughout her life. Um, she enjoyed driving um, and apparently drove quite fast uh, at times. Um, but also, uh, I think, in one of the episodes of The Crown um, or part of uh, the the film of The Queen, um, there was uh, an incident where she was driving uh, a Land Rover across uh, a bit of particularly rugged territory, and she managed to break a drive shaft. And she got on her mobile phone uh, to um, headquarters, as it were, and uh, the uh, engineer said, uh, are you sure it's broken, Your Majesty? And says, "Yes, I know it was broken. I was a, 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 an engineer on uh, trucks during the war. I know when a drive shaft is broken, and this one is broken." So she had, even uh, to that point in her life, she knew uh, the very practical things of life, and she understood uh, when uh, she had got it wrong, and perhaps. We reflect on her life as uh, a mother, and it it has to be said, if if you look at her family, um, there must have been many, many sad conversations, particularly with her children, um, when they realised that their lives weren't going as expected. For example, if you look at the statistics, seventy-five percent of her children's marriages failed. Um, Charles, um, Princess Anne, um, Andrew—it's um, only Edward, who, whose marriage to, to Sophie seems to have uh, weathered uh, the various storms—and that, even that, cannot have been easy. And so, we can understand that this was a mother who suffered with and through her children. Uh, She did all that she could, I'm sure, to give them support and understanding, and in ways um, the media have already and may continue uh, to judge her and see her as as too lenient and uh, too accepting of, of her children's faults. But I think that is the kind of mother that she was. Uh, if you remember last Sunday, we had the gospel of uh, the prodigal son. And my... Uh, interpretation for that gospel particularly on the sunday when we were grieving for the death of the queen was to understand her as a prodigal mother because the word prodigal means uh, hopelessly generous you know hopelessly expansive in the giving of good things and of course uh, the gospel story from luke uh, tells us of how wasteful uh, the son was in uh, having received uh, an inheritance from his father. He then treated it uh, with no respect and lost all of his money. Um, And that was, of course, uh, a source of, of shame for the family. But in the example of the Queen and of her uh, acceptance and forgiveness of uh, her children's faults and failings, particularly uh, in, in the breakdown of their marriages, she showed a compassion and an understanding which was truly Christ like. She knew how difficult it was for them of course she would have preferred them to have uh, lived out marriages that were successful and that marriages that showed strength and fortitude Um, of course that was the model of her own marriage to philip which i think if we understand its background that wasn't always easy. I think that we we can uh, be far too uh, glib in presuming that her marriage to Philip was something that was always um, a source of strength. Um, It was at at times um, a challenge, but it, it is through meeting those challenges with, with courage and confidence, that you, you get through to uh, the final end. And I think, as I'm sure many people have seen, uh, when uh, a married couple uh, have to enter a, a time of bereavement, there is often, um, when particularly when they are of a similar age, that there is that uh, realisation that life without one's partner becomes so difficult that uh, the the end comes, uh, not naturally, but without any argument. Um, And I'm sure for uh, our our sovereign Queen Elizabeth, uh, life without Philip was rotten um, and she she accepted it gracefully but she also recognized that uh, there was no real demand for her as it were uh, to carry on uh, after all um, King Charles has had 53 years as it has been pointed out in the media to prepare for this role um, and so She knew that in the fullness of time, uh, he would take it on and perhaps um, do even better than anybody, uh, particularly in the media, uh, would would have uh, allowed or or given credit for. Um, And I think we are seeing now um, an understanding of just what graces and gifts uh king charles will bring uh to his monarchy that <clears throat> over the years people have have um uh, tried to uh paint him as as a uh, such an oddball character uh, but he has been proven right in so many of his concerns and his uh, apparently political uh Uh, ideologies he has simply shown himself to be a man of true vision and understanding and has used the influence that he has to do all that he can uh, for the benefit of uh, our entire world not simply this country or for the commonwealth uh, but for the uh, entirety of creation Um, he is a man of 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 deep faith and of of universal understanding and that's something that uh, Her Majesty the Queen uh, saw in him and simply allowed him uh, the, the the breadth uh, and the depth of expression uh, to be able to um, set out his um, agenda as uh, a future monarch and and that future is becoming present and I I think we are all uh, ready for his monarchy because he has, uh, over so many years, uh, showed himself to be uh, a man of deep faith and understanding and that is only going to play out as as something uh, very positive um, over the next few years uh, as he uh, develops his own um, style of of leadership and of uh, inspiration of, of the whole of of the royal family and as he said uh, he realizes that he cannot now um, be as um, effusive and and as um, partisan in his uh, political and in his uh, spiritual leadership but he can as it were entrust uh, those energies uh, to other members of the royal family who will as it were continue uh, to 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 be the uh, evangelists of of his um political and spiritual agenda uh, even though he may himself have to um draw back a bit but allow the younger generation to have their say i think he will uh he will do that and he knows that both william and harry and perhaps even the generation uh following them will will have the strength uh to make those uh central issues uh continually Uh, central in the life of the nation and in the work of the royal family so that's that's perhaps the future under King Charles Um, perhaps we can recognise in uh, the example of uh, Queen Elizabeth other aspects of her Uh, her care um and that is if you look at the the ways in which uh the lady who helped her with her wardrobe i can't remember her name she lives in a cottage on uh the the windsor estate and the queen has ensured that she will be able to uh live in that cottage for the rest of her life um There were all sorts of individuals who were part of the uh, uh, whole mechanism of the royal family. And uh, often when people become upset about the, the, the financial politics of royalty, there were so many people. Who were given a living uh, by working for the royal family, and they were always, I think, very well supported. Um, there, there were um, people from families for generations uh, have served uh, the monarchy. They've probably uh, served uh, the Queen Mother, or they've served you know, King George. Um, before the majesty of the queen, all of these families have um, had their loyalty rewarded by by uh, an equal and opposite loyalty. Uh, They have been uh, recognized and uh, their generosity and faithfulness has been uh, reciprocated by Her Majesty the Queen and the Royal Family. And I think we we see in uh, those continuing generations of of service, uh, a recognition of uh, faithfulness and the recognition of what it is to be uh, a family. Um, I I think that's probably something that, was seen probably better even in the um, <clears throat> the other royal uh, residences, particularly, perhaps, Balmoral, um, where <clears throat> there have been for generations. Um, if you've seen uh, the film Mrs. Brown, you will know that there are um, families of uh, servants of the royal household who have continued uh, their service over generations and that's a sign of um, simple christian um, gratitude and loyalty Uh, and those uh, relationships have become a very important part of the witness of the royal family and how they have understood uh, the honour and and, uh, respect with which they are held. But in in showing that honour and respect to other people, particularly to every grade of of employee across all of the royal households, that has been something which has uh, been a a sign of uh, Her Majesty's um, great, simple Christian uh, affection and responsibility uh, during her life uh, as a monarch. Um, I think it was shown on one of the the documentaries that uh, at Christmas time there was uh, a Christmas party for all of the families who worked in the Royal Mews at Buckingham Palace. And it was a a very simple thing, but one which the Queen faithfully uh, took part in um, every year. There were elements of um, tradition and of loyalty to to these uh, individuals uh, over the years uh, which was simply a part of human decency and the continuity of family life obligation and gratitude and those were signs of of christian faith that uh, were part of her majesty's simple Uh, not simplistic, but her simple faith. Um, Bishop Allen, in his homily this morning, uh, commented on the ways in which, with each year, the Christian uh, content of the Christmas Day Queen's speech uh, seemed to grow little by little. She's grew in confidence in speaking of her faith in christ Uh, and i noticed it that she simply spoke of christ as a matter of fact lord and friend Uh, she had that way of an easy confidence in speaking of the name of the lord jesus which goes with any person of faith any person who has confidence in the Lord Jesus, to speak of him as as if it was the most natural thing in the world. And of course, uh, people speaking on the media, uh, on the BBC and ITV, so rarely would speak naturally of their own faith in Christ. It is not invited, it is not expected, but for Her Majesty, When she began to speak of her faith, to speak of Christ as her Lord and her Master, uh, this was a witness that was as natural as it was powerful. and I think uh, she, over the last few years, has done more to uh, normalise Christian faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ than perhaps anybody else uh, in such a position in the media of course uh, there may be christian leaders and preachers who have been able to be far more powerful but the fact that she has had uh, the opportunity to simply speak quite normally and naturally of her faith in the lord jesus christ this has been something which has been powerful uh, for the nation, and perhaps for all churches, but also for all people of faith. So that's Her Majesty's comfortable Christian faith and her confident Christian faith. This has been something which has really, I think, made uh, an awful lot of us uh, so grateful for her quiet uh, and her dignified leadership as uh, a woman of deep christian faith uh, in her role as monarch as the queen of this realm so i'm getting a bit croaky and i'm sure you've got another song to rescue me
0: i have got a song <laughs> father you were talking about um your aunt Theresa, who was in the Army yeah, Auntie Theresa, right? yeah. Auntie, Auntie Terry, you know and um, of all the photographs that we've seen of the Queen so so many the, the ones of of her in her military uniform have really brightened up my children's faces. <laughs> my little girls have loved uh, seeing seeing those and um, I, I've actually chosen the song Sing, which was uh, by Gary. Barlow and the, the Commonwealth Band featuring the military wives. So um, before I actually play this song, I would like to say that the studio line is open. If there's anybody who would like to call in and speak to Father Simon about... Me? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I know there's lots of people who would love to chat with you or have any questions or anything like that. Please do call in and the number is 01223 three, seven, five, five, six, four,
1: Thank you very much. Um, I'm just going to read some of the prayers um, from the mass we celebrated earlier today at St. John's Cathedral in Norwich. I I apologize for the fact that it wasn't well advertised. We only got final confirmation on Saturday, really. Um, So the bulletin had already been, um, had gone to, to press, as it were. Um, And I I think the central theme, of course, was was gratitude. Um, And that's reflected by the, the prayer, the Collect at the beginning of Mass. Almighty God, you are the author and sustainer of all human life. Grant that your servant, Elizabeth our Queen, to whom you granted a long and happy reign as monarch of these lands, may be forgiven her sins and rewarded with that eternal life promised to all those born again in the water of baptism and the power of your Spirit. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. And The Gospel reading was uh, an excerpt from the Gospel of Luke. And, And I just read the final section of it. On the first day of the week, at the first sign of dawn, the women went to the tomb with the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, but on entering discovered that the body of the Lord Jesus was not there. As they stood there, not knowing what to think, two men in brilliant clothes suddenly appeared at their side. Terrified, the women lowered their eyes. But the two men said to them, Why look among the dead for someone who is alive? He is not here. He has risen. I think that is is, is a great reflection on uh any situation where we seem to of course the country has been focused upon uh, the queen's body and it has been lying in state in in the hall of of westminster and people have been queuing for miles and miles uh, to walk past uh, and respect her mortal remains, but in a way, perhaps you say, didn't you think of going farther? Yes, I, I I might have done, but I I think this line is very simple. Why look among the dead for someone who is alive? Um, so really once we die the body is yes it's almost the the saying of the lord leave the dead to bury their dead we should be recognizing the living in the 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 legacy of her majesty the queen um particularly in, in her children in in the royal family in in the legacy that has been left to us uh in and through them uh to be supportive of them um but also to recognize uh all of those things that she did and achieved um through her monarchy through her uh support of uh many many different charities and uh, institutions her living support was the most important thing and those living organizations and institutions will carry on um and many of them will be supported or, or taken over by uh Junior members of the royal family, but the most important thing, I'm sure she would see, is that life goes on. Um, the corgis go on. Uh, one of the the greatest concerns I had when I heard of the death of the Queen, I, I thought, I hope somebody's remembered to feed the corgis. I'm sure she probably didn't do it herself, uh, but she would have made sure uh, that someone did. And and therefore, there's going to be a continuity in the royal family um, because of uh, what she did each and every day um, in in her life, in her uh, example of service, in going through her red boxes and dealing with all of the things that were utterly routine and mundane, but doing those with the same cheerfulness and attention to detail so that she got everything right. Um, (laughs) I remember talking to um, a lovely lady in Newmarket, a parishioner, um, called Doreen Swinburne. Um, You you may recognize the name. She was the mother of um, Walter Swinburne, the jockey. Um, and uh, Doreen and Wally, Wally is, is, is Walter's dad. Um, they have the Genesis green stud, um, uh, near Newmarket. And, um, the queen came to visit one day and, um, Doreen was just having a little conversation with her about the, the breeding of a particular horse. And and the Queen turned around and said, Look, my dear, I'm sure you think, you know, but I know perfectly well that the sire of this horse was so-and-so and and the dam was so-and-so. And and Dorian realised she had had been given a correction by the teacher in the class. Uh, Her Majesty the Queen knew all of these details. It's not that she was, you know, being fussy, but she just knew that the breeding of generation upon generation of racehorses and she had uh, such a love of the sport that it it made her uh, someone who who was really loved uh, in in the racing world um i think uh, frankie dortori um is, is is i think he said once uh, her majesty the queen is is one of the few people who looks up to me because even though frankie is quite short the queen was a little bit shorter and so when you saw them after a race the queen would be looking up to frankie and and he really uh understood that um irony that uh the queen was one of the few people in the world that looked up to him as a jockey um it was a, I, I think her her humanity her love of so many aspects of ordinary human life and her support of those um, those people who were, were just trying to make a living, her support of various trainers uh, over the years was, was a sign of, of of just simple human loyalty and, and friendship, and they were great models of of what she knew to be important uh in life um good honest work and the other thing was people may not understand do you remember when the queen went to ireland about 6 or 7 years ago uh she had the the big trip over to the republic of ireland um what is not known that for about an hour and a half in her schedule, uh, it wasn't known where she was. In fact, she took a helicopter and flew down to the west of Ireland, to the Coolmore stud where Aidan O'Brien trains, uh, to just have a look around the Coolmore operation and, and to meet Aidan O'Brien and his staff and, and, and just really to talk horse. And then she flew back uh, and rejoined uh, the actual schedule of, of the uh, sort of official political tour of Ireland. But um, a little trip down to Coolmore to see the horses was uh, something that, that that she wanted to include in the tour. Um, the, the BBC or ITV never knew that. Um, but uh, when you're the parish priest of Newmarket, you get to know these things. So do we have a final piece of Muzak for us?
0: Father Simon, well, um, would you like to say before I, I just play that final song would you like to say your your talk has been absolutely beautiful it you know oh just well, such well, a lo- uh, beautiful humble hard-working mm. you've described mm. us so well and ah uh, you've really made me smile so thank you very well, much but would you like to say a well, final blessing
1: well we'll just say the the final the prayer after communion that was said at master day Lord God, whose Son left us in the sacrament of his body, food for the journey, mercifully grant that, strengthened by it, our sister Elizabeth may come to the eternal table of Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you very much, Father Simon, and uh, I hope that you come back on air again very soon. Well, we'll try. (laughs) thank you and have a blessed evening